Welcome everyone to TechAway, where we invite GovTechies of various disciplines and talk about all things tech over bubble tea. Hi, I'm Yokmi. I think we are all from uh, GDS. So I'm looking after the Apex and uh, the Nectar products in GDS. Hi, I'm Ishan. So basically, I'm the tech lead for the Nectar team. Hi, uh, I'm Jennifer. I'm the DevOps engineer of the ship team. So I'm Hunter. I'm, I'm a bit of the odd one out, I'm, uh, other than being the young mo in the room. But um, also, I'm actually part of a group called Code. And I'm Samuel, your host for this session. Uh, I also work with the GDS team. I help out with various concerns and issues in the team. <laughs> so yeah, uh, what does it mean to build uh, platforms for the government? Can anyone tell me? So probably let me just start off with uh, Apex. Okay, because uh, Apex essentially is uh, API gateway uh, for the whole of government use and also for agencies okay, to be able to you know, share data among themselves. Right. So, uh, you know, in, in order to build a government uh, system, yeah. especially for this kind of large-scale uh, enterprise, uh, I would think um, there are some major considerations we need to take into account. One, of course, is, uh, you know, uh, compliance and security are a big thing in mm. the government. So, of course, that is uh, the main thing we need to consider when we build the platform because uh, also, because we have so many agencies in Singapore and they're all residing in, you know, in every part of Singapore. So we need to ensure that the security um, measures are in place okay, to uh, enable the agencies to actually share the um, data securely. And the second um, major considerations uh, to take into account when building such a large-scale platform uh, is on the scalability of the platform because we need to be able to scale um, the platform to handle especially like you know sudden surge in transaction volume especially like you know when there are special events you know like for example minister giving a speech and then the next day you will expect you know, loads of transactions coming in um, and the third thing uh, usually for this kind of enterprise scale applications in the government is to be able to cater to multi-tenancy mm. yes because especially you know agencies are um, everywhere in Singapore, so uh, we need to be able to you know, provide this kind of platform for them to exchange data in a secure manner and also to ensure that you know, um, data is not tampered with. So you mentioned that uh, there are certain security policies that we need to adhere to. Uh, there's also a need to enable government systems to scale up. And that's the kind of platforms we build and provide. What would you say is different for, about government? platforms. How is it different from uh, enterprise? Other, other enterprise platforms? Okay, I would think it, uh, in a, basically they are about the same. Okay, so probably the only difference is the, uh, the target audience that we're looking at. But you know, security um, compliance is essentially um, similar in mm. the enterprise, uh, enterprise platforms. Mm -hmm. What about you, Yixing? What uh, Can you tell us more about the Nectar platform? Okay, so Nectar platform is similar as in it's a whole government content hosting platform. So we actually need to look into uh, how do we secure the platform for hosting purposes. Mm -hmm. In this case, we only are handling uh, containers itself. And because policy is quite extensive in the government, mm -hmm. and we have to handle a lot of different use cases. So at times we need to actually think about, is it okay or do we allow people to do things certain ways? which actually restrict the usage of the platform itself. So you have to weigh the pros and cons. But I believe pros and cons is always there, regardless of which path you choose. So mm. that's the difficulty in creating a platform in terms of uh, Nectar itself. So containers is a relatively new mm. technology. Mm -hmm. It's been around for a while, but uh, what, what's an example of one of the security consideration, considerations we have to make? when hosting containers for government agencies? Okay, one very, very simple one, just as an example, is that regardless of is it containers or VMs, services should not run as root. Oh, yeah, but sure. because uh, education-wise, uh, certain knowledge is lacking in terms of certain vendors, they actually want to request for root access, oh. which is actually not really a good thing, not just in containers. So this kind of security aspect Actually, it's more on the educational purpose so that we need to actually let them know root access should not be just given anyhow one. So in general, it's more of a good practice, you know, not to have this kind of a super use access. So the platform helps enforce the desired workflow to enforce security policies. Yes, we mm. aim to achieve that. 
Okay. Yes. Okay. Jennifer, what about CHIP? How does it help uh, government uh, agencies scale up their uh, development? Okay, so for SHIP, as I say, we are a CICD pipeline, so which is like continuous integration and continuous deployment. So SHIP is a pipeline which like, helps government developers to test, build, and also getting of libraries for vulnerabilities. Yeah. So that like we need to be like, on a secure pipeline and all this. So like so that all the agency can use a common pipeline to like also share services and all this. So this enables like developers to like build and test so that we can deploy to the different environment faster and more stable. And we also do like the shift left methodology, which is also like we need to test it earlier so we can detect any problems at the early stage. So anything we can solve it, resolve it as early as possible. And we can have a more stable code to deploy to other environments. So the ship platform allows government developers to do all of that? Yes. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Uh, Hunter, uh, any thoughts of these existing platforms and how they can be improved? Well, I, th I think it's a really exciting thing that we're, we're doing here is that we're, you know, we're able to build out this common set of platforms that that really help agencies deliver uh, services to citizens, you know, more quickly. I mean, you know, it's one thing for everyone to be doing their own thing and to be building out, uh, you know, different things. Now, obviously, we have policy and compliance requirements. Now, everyone can go off and do that themselves. But if they do, it's very, very expensive to do. So common platforms help this um, approach of making everything a lot easier, a lot faster and a lot safer. So I think, you know, it's it's really great to see that these sorts of things have uh, been in place for quite a while. We've got a quite an established process and practice that goes around it. Um, and now we're looking at taking these things into the cloud to get even more agility and uh, more ability to scale and, and service, you know, uh, both the needs of the agencies and help them deliver for the citizens. So it's actually, you know, having a really great and strong impact. So it's really quite exciting to see. Infrastructure as code. Can anyone tell me what is it and how we're using it in government? Can I correct that? I will say everything as code. Well, everything as code is the fine, best way to yes. go. Uh, <laughs> because we use the term IEC so often in government, we actually mm. have blacklisted from uh, using the term. Is it? Okay. Yeah, we, we've actually uh, sort of internally as a joke, we, we don't use IEC, we call it automation. Then how about everything as code? Okay, everything as code, EAC? EAC. So, <laughs> it, it sounds like a... Brand or something? Okay, it's okay. <laughs> it's a buzzword. Okay. <laughs> how, are you, how are you using it within uh, GovTech? What, what are we doing with it? So I'll start with the portion, my portion. So basically, everything as code includes, like what you mentioned, infrastructure. Okay. But also includes, like, uh, for example, the policy and the uh, configuration. As in, actually, configuration is part of infrastructure. But uh, everything includes the application, the service, to the definitions. So it's really everything as much as possible as code, even documentation. So documentation, I believe, is one of the more difficult ones to tackle because normally documentation need to write a lot of <laughs> paragraphs, okay. which is not code. Yeah, a lot of technical writing there. Yeah. Yes. So that part is a bit I'm still exploring it. <laughs> yeah. So do you like uh, you know eat, sleep, and uh, you know dream about IAC all the time or EAC all EAC. the time? Uh, whenever I think about the decision making process, right, uh -huh. I will think about is it capable in code? Okay. Yeah. Rather than just thinking about implementing it, I will think is it capable to be done in code? I see. Yeah. Hmm. That's how what software engineer does, right? We dream up the the, the capability, uh, what we want to achieve, what functionality we want to achieve. And we try to express that in the language of our choice. Mm. So that's pretty much uh, what we do as software engineers. Mm. Is it possible in any code, any tool, mm. right? Mm. And that's, yeah. uh, as, that's especially true with CI/CD platforms, right? Can I build this? Can I package it? Can I pre-configure my Java VM? Can I uh, pre-configure uh, my container, so on and so forth, right? Yeah, like for ship, like we also do like same as him, like everything as code, we try to automate everything as much as possible. Because like if we every time we want to create new resources or change some configuration and all this, which is like easier in code than documentation, because code explains everything faster than you already have the right paragraph of documentations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also we develop all the operations also as code. So 
like which is also easier for us and also for operation like if anything went down and everything if we want to like, speed out new resources or all this it's like everything is already codified and tested it allows mm. us to sleep better at night uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and it allows people to uh, gain the knowledge faster yes rather than full on hands off yeah full full on handover oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah so basically yeah, yeah. the knowledge transfer process is Shorten. So if I want yeah. to take over a project from you, I can just look at your code mm. rather than look through a hundred page paragraph of hundred grave oh, uh, documentation. Normally, from what I understand is that you need to sit together and then explain. Ah, that's the best way of knowledge transfer. Yeah. Yes. But with this, uh, everything as code, right? It's easier to, let's say, you point to a certain piece of code mm. and then tell them that this particular piece of code is actually related to this and how do they relation each other rather than a uh, page by page of documentation. And then tell them that this is this, this is that, but there's no direct reference to the service or the object itself. Yeah. It all, it all sounds a little bit like magic. Is there anything you it, it can't do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, configure Windows, Windows GUIs. Oh, oh I don't know. Isn't that what's like robotic process automations called? Or it's, it's possible with yeah, the. It's a tool with very very sophisticated macros. Yes. <laughs> very, very, very sophisticated macros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. And they are supporting Unix now, so it's fine. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Thank God for the new .NET, right? <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a question from this bag. And let's see what's in here. Hold on. Is, it, is, it, is it this lunch. now? Is it lunch? Oh. <laughs> no, it's a series of questions. Let's see, it's like uh, picking a lottery, lottery winner. <laughs> Bingo! Wow, <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty long. When family members ask you what your job is about, how do you explain it to them? Wow. Malau, right? <laughs> wow. It's a very simple, it's a standard answer. So <laughs> ผมไม่ได้ทําไมมาเดอร์ทูอีกเลยเอ่อดิอันเดอร์สแตนด์เดอะใช่ไหมเอวิ่งโซเตียนนาวเดอะเอวิ่งเป็นคอมพิวเต
I think times have changed eh, in the sense that you know people are more aware of uh, what's happening out there. People are more you know inclined towards the more high tech stuff. So it's not it's not like last time you know doing my thing wrong uh, back you know it's like computer science is something that is like oh, okay so you build a uh, you know computer you need. We don't build no level systems. But it adds to the mysticism sometimes, you know. You just tell people, oh, you know, I just do mysterious things and you will never understand. <laughs> like, what, like, like in the movies where they have the screen, the green words keep moving up. I once sort of described uh, what I did as being a bit like the weatherman, but that just confused everyone even further because they <laughs> thought I was working for, uh, you know, NEA or the weather organization <laughs> or something. It's like, no, no, no. And then it's like, I help, you know, the government use the cloud. So that <laughs> didn't really help much either still, but it was a little <laughs> bit closer. Yeah. Talking about cloud, yeah. 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 Oh, no. So yeah, I, I skipped that analogy completely and went over like a, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, I just tell people that I build uh, government services, government mm -hmm. systems, mm -hmm. and then I start talking about how we do it in government. What mm -hmm. are our requirements? Who do we need to negotiate with? Who do mm -hmm. we need to talk to mm -hmm. in order to build the government system? And that is more interesting than programming itself, I think. Okay. So uh, what are the security policies you need to look at? Uh, what are the high ability concerns that you need to be worried about. Like, mm -hmm. what if Singapore gets bombed, right? Remember, that's a very common uh, consideration that we have to make. And then after that, you have to decide, oh, okay, uh, if you're scared that we're bombed, build a second system uh, that does the same thing and do look at the same thing mm -hmm. too. Uh, then I start talking about high ability, uh, all the all the stuff that is required to build this complex system. Mm -hmm. And my friends look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> that happens. Met technology. That's pretty much what it is. So what are we doing differently on the cloud? Can anyone um, suggest anything? Well, when moving these uh, platforms to the cloud, what, what are we doing differently? Nobody? Yeah. So I, th I, I think there's, isn't, uh, it gives us a, a point where we can fundamentally rethink how we're delivering these services. Now, you know, in a traditional environment, we've been working, you know, on-prem. You know, we've having to be dealing with servers. We're having to be dealing with, you know, potentially, you know, configuration and setup of all of those things. So, delivering value is is there's a lot more steps to go through. So, as we move to the cloud. Um, we get the point to sort of think and, and reanalyze what we're actually doing. I mean, fundamentally, the, the ideas that we've talked about around sort of API gateways, container management, and CICD is, uh, you know, fundamentally the same. These principles have been tried and tested, and if you go into the industry, everyone's doing the same thing. Um, but now we can revisit that and, and come up with things that make it much easier for teams to work on but also for the agencies and, and uh, the services that are being delivered. We can leverage not only the things that we've talked about, but also the additional cloud services as well. So gain the benefit of the different cloud providers and how they actually operate. So yeah, it's really quite an exciting change. Actually, that's true. No? Because just to add on to Hunter's point on, uh, you know, because traditionally when we are on-prem, mm -hmm. okay, what we used to do is, or still doing sometimes, is you know to manually really go and configure the server level kind of configurations, and you know even the software part we have to you know manually install and then configure. So you know with this trend to move to cloud, we are looking at you know uh, automating as much as possible, so that we can move up the line of innovation. Also to you know it's not just for ourselves; it's also for you know, for government and also agencies to really focus on developing values to citizens. Mm. Without to you know to really having to worry about the underlying uh, platforms, which the applications are running on. So we're looking at different techniques like DevOps, DevSecOps, mm -hmm. uh, automating all our operations to maintain and secure all our platforms. Mm -hmm. Any technologies? That, uh, are there any cloud technologies that we're looking at, mm -hmm. or uh, maybe automation technologies? to enable the building, the refreshing of our platforms. Mm -hmm. So the team is, uh, at least for uh, the Nectar team, we are looking at um, 
building a container hosting platform in um, the cloud okay mm -hmm. and how we are doing that or how we are planning to do that is to you know come up with a set of uh, IEC templates oh. okay to uh, allow developers to better integrate with um, you know the cloud native services okay yes okay just to add on to this so basically from my thought is that on the cloud itself we can avoid uh, hitting roadblocks based on resources because it's much easier to scale compared mm. to on-prem and also because on-prem we actually requires uh, to liaise with the individual vendors mm. such as uh, the hardware vendors the middleware vendors mm -hmm. and all these different kind of vendors actually have different kind of setups yep they don't really liaise together uh, I would not say seamlessly they don't integrate seamlessly yeah, yeah. Okay. so in this case because on the cloud you just have to interface with one layer which is basically the uh, platform yep. and with this it's much easier to uh, integrate rather than helping the vendors to seamlessly uh, integrate themselves and then we need to integrate on top of them again mm. which reduce a lot of uh, I would say technical issues yeah and on container stack uh, the goal is actually quite similar to Nectar just that the approach is totally different which is what Yomi just mentioned that integration with the cloud is much more seamless Mm. Can you tell us more about the container stack? Uh, what technology are you looking at? What, what's, the, what's the makeup? What's the... So the core technology is uh, Kubernetes, which is a very well-known uh, container hosting uh, technology. Yeah. So this technology enables us to actually uh, perform a lot of scaling, mm. uh, high availability, monitoring, and actually it's a lot of plugins and uh, enhancement available on Kubernetes which we are going to make use of. So for example, the integration that Yokmei just mentioned is actually the operator portion, mm -hmm. which we're actually looking into uh, using making use of operators, which is relatively new in terms of Kubernetes, which, yep. is, not, which, which is not available when Nectar was born. Uh -huh, yeah. yeah. So this technology allows us to actually think how do we actually enable uh, integration better. Okay. Yeah. Add, to add on on that, Yomi is talking about the configuration and all this. So for us, we also do like IAC infrastructure as code. Yeah. So we try to like codify everything so that like for operation-wise and all this, it's easier to manage the code and mm -hmm. also create new resources. Like because for like we need to like spin out new resources and all this, so it will be easier and everything is like codified instead of like documentation which is like more easier to explain like code will like just do everything for you instead of like you have to manually do all the steps one by one. So we're exploring uh, different uh, technologies and techniques to do our automation. What's the envisioned use of chip to run all this automation? Normally like what we do like we try to do like cloud formation, packerize all the configuration inside. So whenever we want to spin out new resources or we want to do some updates and all this, so we just like change the code inside, then we just update in like AWS, then it will just update the other resources straight away. So SHIP enables the usage of immutable infrastructure and also uh, does automation to execute the IEC to update all the running machines. Yeah, yes. Oh, cool. What do we like about Kubernetes? Why do we talk about it so much? Hmm, it's the industry de facto for containers, surely, I would say. Surely, surely we're, <laughs> okay. we're more clever than that. Why, why did we choose it in the first place? Why do we choose it in the first place? First of all, it's very widely supported. Okay. And there's a lot of resources out there. It's open source. Mm -hmm. And okay, the thing is, Kubernetes as a platform, one person cannot cover everything because it's very... And it's very cross-cutting. Yes. There's the operations part of it. There's mm. the infra part of it. There's, there's the application part of it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But that is also the allure to it because it's so wide-reaching. It's so uh, feature-rich that you can actually just use it for anything you can think of okay. in terms of hosting platform, okay. as in terms of a hosting uh, container. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, I will not say that it's the uh, answer to everything. Because there's definitely ways, like for example, there's no such thing as building pipeline within Kubernetes. You need to build your own pipeline. You need to install another, pipe, install another product inside Kubernetes to Not build. yet, anyway. Yeah, that's why we have different uh, products to handle these kind of things. Okay. And as a hosting platform, I believe it's actually uh, robust and long ready for production. 
We have been using Kubernetes for Nectar also, and we are quite uh, happy with it. But the only thing is that because it is so, so rich, so powerful, sometimes it's difficult to get in-depth knowledge. Mm. Yeah. Which is why we want to try to have a platform to help developers get on board without them headache, <laughs> having headaches. Sure. Yeah. But I think the interesting thing with Kubernetes is there's a very strong delineation that you can have between the platform operators and the application developers. And so, you know, you can have a team that focuses primarily just on the platform. Now, some of that you can outsource to, you know, the Kubernetes managed service providers in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still an element of that configuration. So you talk about operators and you talk about various things that are for the platform. Um, but then there's all of the things that live on top of the platform. And so you can have a very strong separation. So let the app teams work on applications, let the operations team improve the, the platform itself. Yes. And so, you know, it's, a, it's an important kind of separation there. And, you know, I think Kubernetes itself, the reason why it exists is it solves real problems that people are dealing with. Running applications reliably, highly available, fixes things when they go down, reports metrics, so then you can start to get a better insight into the things that you're running. And you're right, I think it's not one size fits all. There are things that you, you wouldn't run it for your, your blog or your you know, small you know, web app. But as you start getting into scale, it's a really great consistency. And uh, you know, as we look at uh, you know, using different cloud providers, um, it's a consistent interface across all of them. Mm. And so, you know, it lets certainly our teams look at how we can offer the best service based on where some, you know, an agency would like to deploy their application. So, um, you know, really sort of great opportunities and it interfaces really nicely with, uh, you know, CICD tools. And so this kind of workflow works for, you know, the largest end and, you know, multi-tenancy. So there's kind of uh, a lot of different benefits that I think we've realized as part of that. I think if you want to talk about the benefits, you need to Google it's the whole ending. That's a lot of things. But the thing is, mostly it's for, like what Kanto mentioned, the whole uh, HA reliability and uh, uh, what is that thing? the elasticity. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The scaling part, yeah. The conservation of resources or allocation of resources, yes. right? Mm. Okay. Well, anybody has anything to add on DevSecOps? Any other practices? I, th I think you know the practices that we're looking at across the different platforms is is a really important step. I mean, we've you know we've gone into the cloud. We're now starting to get get our feet and understand how we're using it. But as we have stable platforms, we can start to really focus on how we're actually delivering. So you know we talk about DevOps, which is you know it can be a little bit confused with technology, but it's a bunch of processes and things around that you build into the organization. Um, but where it kind of the rubber hits the road is really sort of when you start looking at teams like Ship um, or Container Stack, where you start to say, well, how do we make sure we're delivering best practice to help enable delivery and making um, to be able to enable this across the government for delivery? So we're talking about you know DevOps processes around how we're doing, say, testing or deployment, you know, continuous mm -hmm. delivery. And the process of say deploying to master and and how we actually do these sorts of uh, deployment steps, but then we can also start to layer on, which is you know an incredibly important part of government is the sort of security and the policy and compliance. So looking at it around testing code security, how to make sure that we start to deliver things that are verified all the way through, so that we're kind of having a secure software supply chain, if you will. So you know there's these really interesting opportunities because. You know, the government in the scale of the government, um, you know, there's there's an incredible amount of diversity from, you know, different agencies and different requirements. Um, and so, you know, handling those sorts of cases is, it makes it, you know, very, very important that we understand who we're delivering for, mm -hmm. um, but also building out a flexible way of actually managing these deployments. So, you know, great challenge. And I think it's, a, you know, in, in having discussions with every, you know, everyone in the different teams is, and everyone's really actively thinking about these sorts of things and uh, coming up with, you know, innovative solutions, ways that we can actually make sure that, you know, what we're doing is actually, in some ways, you know, best of class. We're, we're you know, if you talk about the, you know, big technology companies, we're doing the same sorts of things. It's really quite exciting. We were talking about container stack, right? How does container stack help 
the developer deploy his application in uh, the government environment? Actually, this should start from ship because the pipeline helps a lot. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. sure. But then do we talk about GitOps in that context? Uh, okay, so there's two parts to it. One part is the how the image gets uh, created, hmm. which is part mm -hmm. of the ship pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from there on is the JitOps pipeline. Yeah. So yeah, still ship. Uh. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's still ship. Yeah. So, so ship is very important. So Jennifer, <laughs> can you tell us about JitOps uh, with relation to ship? How does uh, ship enable JitOps? Yeah, so for ship, I mean, we also do, that's normally we do all the codes. Then after that, you have to build. Then we use tests. For tests, why we also use like, for GDL, we also got another teams which help in the testing part. Then after that, we do scan for libraries using NASA. So we yeah. check for all the vulnerabilities, like whether the Java is up to date, or whether like for your Linux system is up to date. Maybe sometimes the APIs are using the older libraries, so we have to like update them so that it's, it's more secure. So normally we'll do the scan, then after that, we will deploy to all the different environments. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we sort of, you know, in, in discussions of, with the container stack team, um, you know, we talk about GitOps as a way of managing deployments because mm. it shifts everything as left as possible. Yes. Um, mm. what, are, what are your thoughts on sort of how, how you go about doing that in a container platform? So, uh, like what she mentioned about the whole ship pipeline actually enable us to build the container, the image, uh, more efficiently and more, let's say, securely. Yeah. which helps in development, mm. which is what we're trying to uh, help the developers do. So this pipeline enables the uh, whole code to image uh, flow. And from the image, container stack will actually pull the definition files from another JIT repo, which is purely definition. So the developer only needs to know what to deploy and what to create in the hosting platform. And this enables the developer to focus on just purely uh, development and definition will be just uh, consumed by the container stack platform and pull the image from what mm -hmm. the ship have built. This is like uh, integration between container stack and ship. Yeah. So let me just break that down a little bit more. Uh, I, developer, mm -hmm. I write a bunch of code mm -hmm. that is ready to be packaged into an image. Mm -hmm. Before it's built into an image, there is a CI-CD testing. Mm -hmm. So we build the image and we test it and scan it and do all the static code scans, and all those uh, reports are put into a pull request of some sort. Yeah. Uh, one of my master developers, mm -hmm. uh, he approves the pull request, and it gets uh, marked as the latest image. Yes. I create another JIT repo. Uh, we will create the JIT repo for you. Oh, oh that's new. Okay. So you create the JIT repo with mm. all the definitions. Oh as part of the con container stack flow. Yes. And I put my definitions in there mm. to mark what, uh, what my Kubernetes services are. Mm -hmm. And after that, uh, your Kubernetes uh, container stack will pick it up mm -hmm. and uh, deploy the service. Yes. And uh, during the process, right, we'll actually validate. For example, we'll be using certain policy as code okay. to figure out if you actually uh, have the deployment or have the configuration right. So to avoid security issues, to avoid, mm -hmm. uh, let's say, configuration issues, which will actually have two uh, gateways. One is the prevention and one is the alert. We still have not uh, figured out which one should we actually totally prevent or which one should we just let them know that it should be done better. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's still in progress, yeah. So at every step of the way, I have checks and balances to make sure that my application is not uh, something that will compromise other government systems. Mm -hmm. and it is working as intended, mm -hmm. all my function tests and everything. And for the deployment part, I also have checks and balances to make sure that my application doesn't compromise the hosting system mm -hmm. and there's, not, uh, there's nothing wrong with the configuration as well. Yes. yes. Actually, there's two, two parts. One is, uh, this is the JIT ops model, mm -hmm. which is basically uh, definition as code, everything as code. The pipeline, there's actually another environment for the whole pipeline model, which is from ship directly to the hosting. Okay. This is for the development stage, ah, where you can okay. actually explore how it will work in the development stage first. So there's a more develop, uh, more forgiving development phase. Yes. And then there's a production phase where everything is guarded. 
Yes, mm. that is a more controlled environment. Right? Oh, mm. an, I think there's a really interesting point that was touched on as part of that is that you know, um, everything gets put into a pull request. So you know the traditional model of doing deployment is that you go and you you chase up to your manager and say, hey, hey, you know, can you can you put this into production for me? You know, click the button or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Where you know, if everything goes into the pull request and you're able to see that your security checks passed, you know, your uh, various different builds worked, and everything's actually really good in your development flow, then you both have this kind of really strong audit log, and then as a group of developers and managers and security teams and everything else, you have a single view that you can kind of say, hey, cool, everything looks really good, mm. let's merge this, and then it gets pushed into either development or into production. Mm. And so it kind of changes the model in a really interesting way, and I think it's, it's interesting seeing how this kind of adoption is changing in the industry, where you know, typically there's a very, very strong process and, you know, very, very strong gating. Um, and it's changing the model so that, again, you move everything kind of closer to the start, that shift left. Mm -hmm. um, everything becomes a, you know, an easy process that you can kind of look through and, and, and pass off to different teams to, you know, get approval of your code merge. And, you know, with everything as code as we talked about, you know, then this thing makes it kind of like this uh, a common process that works across a lot of different flows, be it Terraform, CloudFormation, Kubernetes, or, you know, even API gateways. And I think, you know, there's a really uh, interesting exploration as we, you know, start adopting the cloud in more detail and, and sort of taking on these really interesting new modern processes to actually improve the agility of deployment and stuff. It's, uh, it's really quite exciting stuff. Yeah, so like for what you say, mm. like, for manager, whenever they want to approve something, because they will be worried whether this artifact is actually the one we tested or is it the actual one that we need to deploy to production? Because like some of them will be afraid, like it will be the wrong artifact mm. or it's the old one. So normally for our pipeline, because we will be like taking from the same artifact from the same repo, mm. so you like be built to like death. After that, the same repo goes to build death then to UAT and production, so mm. you will be definitely it will be the correct artifact. It won't be yes. like suddenly when you go to production, then the next day there's production failure because mm. they deploy the yeah. wrong artifact. And the definition is always uh, source control yes. and that's versionings. So yeah. there's no need for, for example, uh, missing versions in the between where nobody knows what is happening. Yeah. It's and visible and transparent. Yeah, and yeah. you can keep track right, what is the mm. changes between the previous and the latest mm. artifacts. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it kind of lends itself to a really interesting sort of view of where the next stages are going as you get past that is sort of saying, well, look, I, I know that I've got the right image, mm -hmm. but, you know, how do I know that that image is going to go all the way through and get into production is in exactly the same way. And now we have kind of signing and cryptography to know that these things are kind of legitimate, but then how do you know that you've got this kind of end-to-end -end stage to say, mm -hmm. The developer who wrote the code and checked it in is the same code that got into the repository and then the image that got built and then so you can kind of build on that to have this really kind of strong end-to-end -end secure process so that when it hits the workflow at the end the kubernetes cluster the kubernetes cluster can kind of say ah oh, you know i can see that there's all of this kind of you know cryptography and signing that says everything's cool i'm going to mm -hmm. let it in versus the current model where it's sort of like well we kind of trust that this stuff is going in there and, you know, this is really cutting edge stuff in the industry that, you know, not a lot of uh, organizations have started to adopt. So it's really quite exciting. I mean, I know we've had discussions in the groups about how we start to have this kind of end-to-end -end security, you know, mm -hmm. tying together the metadata for this, you know, secure delivery pipeline and, uh, you know, this sort of things that we're kind of exploring, you know, what is now the cutting edge of, of software deployment is... Uh, you know, it's really great to see that teams are really starting to think about this stuff. Which can be controlled by using the policy as code. Which is quite fun to... Actually, this is the first time I'm actually touching on uh, policy as code. Okay. And throughout the journey, it's quite, like, quite amazing. Amazing? How yes, so? because it's like normally you think about doing configuration yep. rather than doing it in code. You'll be configuring such that you only widely certain repository. Yeah, okay. Uh, which is actually, uh, let's say, restricting in terms of if you need to whitelist another repository, you need to go through the firewall, you need to find out the IPs, you need to find out the domains, all this stuff. Uh, yeah. But with policy as code, it's basically just a definition mm -hmm. on which, uh, let's say, when you deploy something, which image source do you allow them to come from? Yeah, which is pretty straightforward. 
and so quite learning journey. Just to contrast, before we make any changes in production, mm. you have to get the approval of five or six people manually uh, and go through with them what your changes entail. And the most frustrating part about that is you have to describe in ridiculous detail what you're doing and what implications it has. Mm -hmm. With policy as code, you can still code anything you like, but the policy as code will catch you and then tell you no. Uh, the policy as code part is basically the one that define what you can do. Okay. But the ship pipeline is the one that actually define what changes is happening. Okay. Mm. So uh, as a manager, you want to know the changes mm. and you want to know what impacts. Ah, okay. Yeah. So the impact actually is listed out during the test cases, yeah. during the scans, so you can okay. see the differences. Yeah, so what you're saying problem. is uh, inside the JitOps, the pull request, uh, because of the JitOps process, the, the delivery pipeline, you get a summary of all the changes about to be made. So you still get your manual process, your manual approval process. Yeah, in. Pull request, yes. Yeah, mm. and when you, I think your policy as code also catches it at that stage. Two stages, yes. Can we consider and that? Yes. even mm. if they approve it, even though it doesn't pass the policy as code check, the final stage in production is it's caught. Yes. And it's still mm. not deployed because yes. of that. Okay, mm. so throughout Ma the entire process, <laughs> there is assurance that you don't do uh, something naughty. Something naughty. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called defense in there. <laughs> yes, defense in there. But the thing is, is okay, so uh, recently I went for this IEC, is it the IEC uh, seminar or session, uh -huh. which actually taught us about, you cannot actually catch everything in one place. Mm. You actually need to have a Swiss cheese model, they call it. A Swiss cheese model? Uh, yes. yes. Sounds yeah. tasty. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a grilled cheese or is it not? So basically, there's bubbles and uh, gaps in between a yeah, layer, yeah, and there's yeah. multiple layers to catch different kind of things. Yeah, so throughout the pipeline, throughout mm. the hosting platform, throughout the whole tech stack, yeah. there should be different ways to catch different tools yeah. and different uh, ways to catch uh, possible issues coming up. Possible issues, yeah. Mm. The right tool for the right job, right? You yes. can only have one tool for catching wrong infrastructure as code. You can only have one tool for catching wrong code to have full assurance you need to have a series of checks mm. and make sure they all check they mm -hmm. all pass mm -hmm. yeah. yes okay. yeah, good. so uh this series of platforms is part of the singapore tech stack mm -hmm. uh is there anything new for the singapore tech stack what's what's uh, being planned for the singapore tech stack actually the uh, something that is brewing which is uh, what uh, isa mentioned just now on container stack Okay, this one is another, uh, the next generation of container hosting because we are now moving uh, into GCC. So the intent of this um, new container hosting system is slightly different because uh, we aim to you know, um, achieve the level of abstraction layer above uh, the government commercial cloud. So that um, we, we are not there to solve uh, world hunger. Okay, let's put it this way. Okay? But we are trying to you know, uh, enable this container stack to um, shield uh, users from you know the underlying um, complexities on the runtime platform. Okay, so they can they can really just focus on developing applications. So, uh, I can develop my app, package it into a container, throw in the container stack. Right. It's in the cloud, already running. Yes. Yes. And it's being continuously uh, built and delivered by Ship. Yeah. Yes. And all my APIs are being passed through Apex. Correct. So there's that one the important thing that's missing out of all of that though. Which you know is is coming as part of the tech stack is you know mm -hmm. the operations piece. I mean, how do you keep these things? How do you deliver reliable applications once mm -hmm. you've deployed them? Now you can you know with things like ship and container stack, you can deliver very quickly when you find a bug or a problem. Mm -hmm. But if those services go down, how do you know? So as part of that, you know, in looking at the operations side, delivering things like uh, site reliability engineering. Um, strong operations and log monitoring, monitoring metrics, um, kind of then adds that layer of maturity on top of it to say that we're delivering both uh, high quality and secure software, but it's also running reliably so that it doesn't go down when there's a big spike or right. there's a problem that uh, knocks it offline. We can solve it very, very quickly or at the end of the day, hopefully no one notices and everyone can actually have a working service for 
whatever we're building. Mm -hmm. Oh, as a government uh, agency, I want my service to be running all the time. Mm -hmm. So that sounds really useful. Yeah. I'm going to open this. Let's see, what's the last question we have? Okay, not that question. <laughs> now I want to know Something a bit more lighthearted, right? Oh, no, 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 it's, it's very serious. That's a long one. Wow. I thought the other one was a shorter one. I love this. This is great, actually. Now I want to know what's that question. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a HUD heads-up display that showed three stats about any person you looked at, what three stats you would want it to show? Stats as in STATS? STATS. Statistics. Okay. For example. Actually, how grumpy they were today. Oh yeah, actually that's yeah. pretty useful. Recently, recently I was talking to my ex-colleague about uh, EGG monitoring. EGG Basically monitoring. the uh, brainwave monitoring. Oh. Yeah, and I was just talking to them that uh, it's not uh, mature enough to actually cater for the masses because everyone brainwave is different. Ah. So in this aspect, right? Okay, I, I'm talking. You, I'm thinking you, too tanker. <laughs> a magic device. Oh, it sounds like a superpower. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a superpower. superpower. Yeah. Because suddenly it reminds me of X Men. You know? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But it could be used for good or evil. <laughs> I, okay, this is where I let my geek out. Have you guys watched Death Note before? Uh-huh. Oh, yes. So where you look at people and you, you, you see, see the life expectancy. Life, the number of years left in their life. Hmm. Would that be of use to you? That's I pretty scary if you ask me. I wouldn't want to yeah, know about it's, this. So it's if any other, stat, any other statistic? Um, a mood, a mood level meter, great. Yeah, uh, mood, mood level meter, happy, sad. Uh, you know, the question is, do you use it for your advantage or do you do use it? Yeah, well? especially just before steering mm. comms. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we need that for steering comms. Yes. yes. Mm. Yeah. I read a lot of science fiction books. Mm. Uh, there are, there is this uh, situation where if you can detect the mood of a person you can use it to your advantage because you know whether the guy is lying or not yeah. and whether he's committed to your mm -hmm. cause or not. Yeah. And with that kind of information, you can convince him of all the things you want him to do. Oh, oh that's very evil of you. So I guess uh, mood level is a great example. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Stats. What stats would be useful in your everyday life? Hunger level. You've been playing a lot of sleep, haven't you? It's an indication. Sleeping, yeah. sleeping. Hey guys. <laughs> oh, sleeping. Oh. All these affect the mood. Yeah, yeah we, we kind of get that when they actually fall asleep at the table, though. So that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think the mood level is actually the most useful. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. I can't think of anything. Because everything is related to mood. Hmm. Yeah. Indirect. Happy, sad. Yes. Uh, Nervousness. What else is there? Uh, if it, if it's not related, excitedness. I guess that one is all mood. Is it, if it's not really like, for example, the feeling space is like heart rate, which, oh, which yeah, is what yeah, all the yeah, 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 all the uh, smart uh, watches have already, which is possible. It's kind of but like that, a remote is, polygraph, isn't it? Yeah. But no way. Is, yeah. The question is. If everyone had it, would it be allowed though? Would you want somebody no, to no, be able no. to read your... You. No, I know, but it's it opens that kind of interesting question <laughs> of would you want other people to be able to tell those things? If you both had it, is that equal yeah, and you can do it? Yeah. No, I actually think that it would be useful if it's actually, uh, let's say, location-based. Uh, no, location-based. Location For example, in a hospital, uh -huh. if you're a patient, uh -huh. if you actually have this kind of statistic up, yeah, it's, heart it helps. rate, <laughs> blood pressure. Yeah. So if I have this HUD, I can for the doctors, yeah. for the nurse, yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be useful. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's where a really great potential of things like augmented reality is. You, know, mm. you have like a hospital, you're able to see diagnostics without necessarily having to go and check something. Same as you know, repairing equipment. You know, being able to see oh, what what's that part. You know, what do I need to do to fix it? Mm -hmm. Calling up these sorts of things. But yeah, I mean the. The question of understanding it about another person mm. is <laughs> a little bit more of a grey area. Or a psychologist if you want the feelings part. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What are the type of people we're looking for to help us build these technologies, these platforms? 
That's people like you. A lot of criteria though. <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay, a very, it's a very generic question. Depends yeah. on which angle you come from. Okay. Mm. My personal feel, top mm. of my head, is I personally feel there should be, you know, um, gender diversity okay. in technology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. Women in um, a technical team has proven to, you know, to have more um, social sensitivity to the whole team. And then I also do believe in uh, a collaborative kind of uh, team intelligence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with uh, usually, I mean, research have also shown that uh, with women a team is, is supposed to boost uh, productivity. Work productivity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, alright. Yeah. If you want to qualify that, I mean, it's okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, any, that's my take. Any other criteria? Actually, one of the main criteria is basically the enthusiasm to actually push things forward because uh, technology moves very fast. Yeah, you, cannot, you cannot catch on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's why you must have the drive to mm. keep learning things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the uh, emotional part. So the technical side of things, because uh, this kind of platform uh, that we are actually driving to create mm-hmm. requires a lot of deep thinking. Yeah. Not just go inside and code, not just go inside and use whatever that is. It's about thinking about how do we, let's say, integrate with each other. For example, there's different products and we are part of the SG Tech Stack. So mm-hmm. we must think of how do we actually work together with each other? Okay. How each technology complements each other. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a fair bit of understanding the technologies <coughs> and not just your team, mm. but other people's as well, other teams as well. Mm. And trying to plan for that future integration. Yes. So mm. that takes a lot of uh, fore planning. Yes. For sharing, for planning. Yeah. Mm. For me, I think other than skills, I mean, it will be like willing to people who are willing to learn because I mean over here we really learn a lot of things like all the different technologies like I can understand what the other teams are doing and other projects and also like yeah in- innovative and also people who like to help the governments and help the citizens mm. civilians yeah yeah I think that's a really sort of really important point is, you know, understanding who you're delivering for. It's really, really easy as engineers that we kind of go, yeah, yeah, cool, there's a cool piece of technology, you know, let's go and use that without sort of saying, well, hold on, let's step back a little bit and say, is it actually going to do the things we want to do? But, you know, I think that's always a really important, you know, pull. I mean, and, you know, it doesn't mean you don't necessarily like doing cool tech, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there certainly is that kind of curiosity that you need to know what's available, but also, you know, how people are going to be using it. Because if you're not solving the problem, but you know, I always find something interesting, you know, and it'd be kind of cool to get, get what you think is, you know, is it better to have a team of really kind of broad people who mm-hmm. kind of understand a lot of stuff or like really, really strong specialists? You know, I've, I, I think, uh, you know, it's always an interesting question to pose mm-hmm. what makes a good team. There's always pros and cons to both sides. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> You? <laughs> Me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't well, just skip a question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fine, fine. I pride myself as a software engineer. Uh, I do uh, place a lot of importance on technical ability. But like you said, uh, I do believe that the drive to learn, you know, you must always be willing to try new things. I have interviewed people who are really masters of the craft, supreme Java developers. Mm-hmm. But they're not what we're looking for because we refuse to look a- at anything else other than Java. Mm-hmm. Same thing for Python, same thing for uh, PHP, C++, Node.js. If you are stuck in one technology, you're not going to last for long because the, the yeah, technology the moves very quickly. Mm-hmm. So the kind of people that we're looking for, those people who are willing to learn new things, people who are willing to adapt, mm-hmm. and most importantly, People with tenacity, I think. Working in government takes a lot of dedication, really, Mm. uh, because uh, it's like working in an enterprise. You have so many security policies and other policies you also need to follow. And you need to be able to work with all the constraints that you're given. Mm. Tenacity. That's what I I look for. (laughs) I think think it's, it's, you know, the tenacity is, you know, an important part of it but ultimately the goal at the end of it is actually really really rewarding as well 
Yeah. It's actually having a much bigger impact than it may be in a general enterprise, which is kind of cool, right? <laughs> to actually want to work for government, I think you need to have a bit of uh, civic mindedness, right? You want to, uh, you want a better country. You want to enable the citizens to do uh, anything with their data, with their uh, applications. You want to uh, be able to enable agencies to engage the citizens better. You know, you want uh, it to go the other way as well. You want the citizens to reach the agencies easily as well. Mm. To have that vision mm. and doing whatever you can to achieve that, mm. I think that's also important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why I'm stuck in GovTech for about five years. Mm. <laughs> yeah, about as old as I am. I yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a relatively newbie here, I think. We need fresh blood. Fresh blood. <laughs> we always need fresh blood. And we yeah. need fresh insights. You know, yeah. uh, what we've seen uh, with Hunter is uh, you've given us uh, insights on how to use cloud, mm -hmm. how to use the new technologies and also how to better design our systems for reliability, how to better design our systems for automation. You know, without that, I think we... It's one thing to just look at what everyone else is doing and uh, saying, oh, we should do that. It's another to translate that to business value, mm -hmm. right? Yes, that looks cool, but how does it actually uh, relate to your operations? You know, how does it save you five to 10 hours of work every time someone wants to onboard into uh, your platform? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how does it save me 10 hours of work when I try to deliver a government service or maybe 200 hours of work? And also to tackle problems from a different view. Mm. Yeah, because normally when we look at a problem, as an engineer, I would just say, uh, build something to solve this problem. But it's better to look into what is available outside and making use of them. Mm. Yeah. Are you saying that I cause trouble and ask the intermediate no, questions? No, <laughs> no, no. Not He's overtly, no. <laughs> you can be honest about it no, if you want. No. You guys go around and say, damn that guy, is." Uh, <laughs> we will talk the, you know, behind this. Yeah. I can step out of the room if you want. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, to that, I think it's not just hiring engineers. We also mm. need a lot of different uh, people for, of different expertise. Mm. Let's not mm. forget the designers mm -hmm. uh, who conduct really interesting uh, uh, user design experiments. Mm -hmm. You know, they actually, before we even start building a service, they actually conduct research to say, do you even really need this service? Do you really need to build a Actually, that's very important. That? Yes, that's very important because, uh, you know, the, as engineers, right, we tend we have this tendency to you know uh, to come up with some solutions that we think you know should work for mm. the mass, but uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, sometimes it doesn't work that way. So we do really need to understand you know what the users are really looking for, okay, mm -hmm. and then in order to for us to build you know uh, usable systems. Mm. Mm. So that that point on UI UX and designers is yes is, is very important. They also help uh, make our applications look good. Yes. Our services, yeah. Yes. I think uh, it's a, I think it's an important point though. In uh, you know, I mean, sort of raising the question of well, you know, in, in most organisations, you know, how it's been traditionally, which is kind of why we talk about transformation, is there's mm -hmm. been these very strong silos. You've mm -hmm. got a development team, right. you've got an operations team, you've got a design team, and and you know, and a very very important part of you know how we try and make things better and enable. You know, better delivery, building better products is working together. And I think that's a really important part of how we're starting to look at, you know, working through these things. And it's interesting, they sort of, you say, well, is it um, a change that needs to come into the organization first, or is it coming from other things? Or is it the use of cloud that's going to change us coming backwards? And I think there's always, there's not one answer to it. But it's kind of cool to see that these sorts of, uh, you know, pull in different directions, you know, ultimately is to really serve to actually make Singapore better, but also deliver, you know, important products that make these things happen. Mm -hmm. mm. Actually, I think that it's more of a like a wave. It's like there's always ups and there's always down. Mm -hmm. Like how initially before GovTech idea, yeah. it's more vendor management mm. and less engineering. Yeah. And we actually outsource the engineering to the vendors. Yep. And now we are transitioning uh, to the engineering part. 
but I believe that it's not actually a. Uh, it's not constantly. It's not a constant thing. Yes. We can't possibly engineer in-house everything. Yes. There are certain systems that we need to uh, outsource, especially what we look at within GDS is whole government concerns. Mm -hmm. But there are so many agencies with yes. so many services that they need to build. So we can't possibly kind of work on all of them. Cases, so many different kinds well. of capabilities. Yes. Yes. And we need to cover everything, but we can't cover everything. No, we can't. Yeah. So we need a lot of people. Other than that, project managers, agile, agile experts. What, what, what are the kind of uh, other expertises do we need? Actually, one of the, one of the role which is quite, uh, let's say, not in the limelight is the technical writer. Oh, uh, very true. Yeah. yeah. Actually, they are the one who actually convert the us engineers talk in tech terms. Which yeah, I, I, I thought you said that IAC solves all of this stuff. We don't have to write <laughs> documentation anymore. No, documentation is internally, as in this kind of documentation is more for like internal use for yeah. us to reference. For yeah. But for the public, for the users, for mm. the tenants, yeah. they need to have another understanding. Yes. So technical writers help us to convert what we wish to let them know. Very true. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yes. I think it's really, really important and something that's actually overlooked a lot. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for uh, watching this uh, episode of Takeaway. Uh, do tell us what you think of our strategy and our uh, platforms. Please do leave your critiques and feedback in the comments. Less uh, critiques, please. Less <laughs> critiques, please. <laughs> do suggest uh, any topics you want to learn about in the comments as well. Subscribe, like, and do share this video with your friends. Thank you for watching.